Everybody and welcome into the Nick State of Mind podcast. I'm Matt Castillo here with Chip Murphy, but we're not very important. I'll tell you who is important. Our very special guest, Ian Begley of SNY. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. I know you're super busy at this time of year, so it really means a lot to us that you're you're taking some time to join us on the Nick State of Mind podcast. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. Um, how are you guys doing? We're doing pretty good. I mean, we can't complain. The Knicks are back in the playoffs. I mean, this is so much fun this whole season. And, you know, as we jump right into it, Ian, I, I, just talk about that. The Knicks are back into the playoffs. And not only are they back in the they're, – they have home court advantage here as the fourth in the Eastern Conference. Uh, you know, just the fact they're back playing playoff basketball in the Garden for the first two games. Talk about the excitement of, of fans being back in the arenas and that fans are getting to watch the Knicks play meaningful basketball here in the playoffs. Yeah, I don't think <clears throat> excuse me, anyone would have predicted this coming into the season. Uh, I mean, it, no one saw them making this kind of leap uh, from a win total perspective. I don't think anybody saw Julius Randle making the leap that he made uh, from the offseason to now. And it's just been remarkable. It really has. And then it culminates in what we saw – at the Garden uh, this week, just an incredible, raucous atmosphere. And, uh, yeah, just I feel good for all of the fans that, you know, have been there with this team for the last, you know, 20 years, eight years, whatever it may be. You've been through a lot of losing, a lot of tough um, on-court and off-court uh, incidents. And, and here you are, you're stuck with the team, and, and they've delivered a winner to you in a way that you didn't expect. So, uh, tremendous job by everybody involved over there. Ian, a lot of fans have compared this team to the last time the Knicks were in the playoffs in 2012-13. How do you think this team compares to that team, and is there any comparison, whether it's on court or off the court, between uh, Julius Randle and Mello? You know, I think with that team, you, you had a lot of veterans, right? And it, it didn't seem at the time that it was going to be a group that could be together and win together, you know, for multiple seasons. And I think that's one of the differences because here you have a nucleus that's young and, and a nucleus that you can see, you know, sticking together uh, over multiple years and kind of uh, being built out. And, and so I think you could, you look at that as one difference. I think with the Carmelo Anthony and Julius Randle comparisons, you know, I understand uh, from the perspective of they're both, you know, heads of the, the franchise and, you know, they both, excuse me, rely on jump shots. But I think that, you know, it, it, it doesn't go much further than that for me at least because Randle, um, you know, he, he's doing it. You, you're getting him as a Nick at such a different, younger stage in his career. And then also what he's done, I mean, just the leap in year seven, you just don't see it. You really don't see it. And the way he's distributing the ball, shot the ball all year long, 
especially when you think about what he looked like and what he did in his first year in New York. Uh, just remarkable to me. So I don't see a strong comparison between him and Carmelo, but just the idea that he he, he did what he did in year seven. Uh, just you really can't uh, understate how just remarkable it is. You know, Ian, when I when you look at this series being talked about, especially in the national, you know, aspect of it, the games are on TNT, the guys on inside the NBA uh, leading up to this series really just kept talking how much better they feel like the Hawks are to the Knicks. Uh, but the Knicks and the Hawks seem to be even. Every game so far this year has come down to the wire. The Knicks have a winning record against the Hawks, including the playoff games of 4-1. and one on the year so far, what, what, what's being missed about this Nick team? Why is it so much, oh, the Hawks are a better team? Why aren't the Knicks getting credit for what they have done this season and seem to have uh, the, a little bit of an edge on the Hawks this year? Yeah, I guess because maybe you look at the roster and you just look at the, the youth of Atlanta and the depth and you say, all right, well, they have more talent. And I could see why you'd say that, but I guess what you're not seeing is you're not seeing the performance that an Alec Burks can give you uh, from a Nick perspective. I think you're undervaluing what Derek Rose gives you uh, off the bench and what he has given you. So I think those are two areas where maybe if you're just looking on paper, you're not going to take into account the way Rose has played and then the way Burks has played. But I, I also think that maybe there's, there's just a, a tendency to wonder whenever the, when the next shoe is going to drop with the Knicks, like what's going to go wrong just because we've seen something go wrong so often over the last 20 years. So maybe that's part of it too. But I just think in general, you look at the rosters and it's natural to think that the Hawks have a little more depth, a little more talent, but neither team is, is playoff tested. So, um, you know, you see Derek Rose played the way he played last in game two and you see Taj Gibson play the way he played in game two and you look at, the playoff experience they have and you wonder maybe does that factor in a little bit maybe that's something that's not being taken into account when you're comparing these two teams yeah Tibbs making the switch to Rose and Taj to start the second half in game two was kind of what changed everything because I mean those first six quarters of that series were really kind of brutal for the offense and then they, it wasn't, I don't think, a coincidence that when Tibbs made that switch, everything kind of changed for the first time. But I'm, I'm glad you brought up uh, Rose, Ian, because when that trade was made, I, I will freely admit that I was one of the people who was like, oh, God, what are we I'm doing I'm right here? there with you, Chip. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I just did not see the impact. Yep. So, and I, that was in part because of his first time here. So he's really impressed me as – a big part of that has been his humility. He's been such a great mentor to everybody on the team, like not just the young guys, like the older players too, like Randall. Like, but what's impressed Ian? What's impressed you the most about Rose this year, uh, and not just on the court but off the court? And what have you seen from him in comparison to his last tenure here? Well, you know, it's funny because I we only, you know, I only got to know him for one year when he was here, but he, he struck me then and he strikes me now as such a down to earth person, like a, a humble person. Like you would never, if you're talking to him, 
at least I wouldn't think I was talking to uh, one of the most famous basketball players on the planet. He just seems like a really nice, humble guy. And that's, that was true then. That's true now. But I think that the leadership, that perspective, like the idea that from day one, night one, that he came here, he's taking Obi Toppin and Emmanuel quickly and the younger players under his wing. That's not something I think that anybody anticipated when that trade was made. And also, just the idea that he can adapt his game or he has adapted his game so well to a player who is not going to, you know, attack the rim and, and, and dunk over you. He's not going to do that anymore, but he still is so skilled. I mean, he can still get by you and he can still finish at the rim. It's just, he's crafty. He uses his body, he uses angles uh, to create space to finish and he can shoot. I mean, I, I did not think that he would be able to knock down a three-point shot the way he has since he's come over here. So I think those are the things that are most surprising to me about Derrick Rose's run here. You know, Ian, we know what the situation is. Oh, sorry, Matt. Sorry. Okay. You good? No, I, I was just going to say the thing that sticks out to me the most right now is that he's leading the team in minutes in the playoffs. That's a great point. That's, a, that's impressive. Great point. That's a really good point. Yeah. And we, you know, I, I'm the same way. I have, I have a tendency to wonder, you know, when it, is he going to get hurt? Like, why are they they're playing him too many minutes? But he's been consistent in saying, I've trained my body for this. I've trained to prepare for these minutes, and I'm fine. It's not, it's not as if I'm like – he's not saying this, but in essence he's saying, I'm not that ticking time bomb where you have to worry about minutes, rest, back-to-backs because of the injury. So is that – is that true? Is that accurate? Is that the case? I, I guess we'll see. But he, he has said that consistently when he's asked about the minutes and, and how he's feeling. Yeah, He hasn't shown any sign of slowing down late in games. I know it's only been two games, but he's looked great throughout. So we'll see, I guess. You know, I, and we know what the situation is now. We're obviously 1-1, the big second half for the Knicks to uh, take game two in this. So we're heading back to Atlanta and Ian, they're the Knicks this season so far. I, I think they were sixteen and twenty on the road. So the next two games are on the road. What what do the Knicks have to do here uh, to, you know, win these games on the road, or at least win one of these games and get it back to New York two two, or be up in this series? What what are some of the keys for the Knicks here as they go through these next two games in Atlanta? You know, as well as the first two games have gone, just from a, a, a score perspective, like with Julius Randle playing poorly, I don't think that you can get out of Atlanta and with one win or certainly not two wins without Randle playing better. And mm-hmm. so I think that's kind of where it starts. And one reason if you're the Knicks or you're a Knicks fan to be encouraged is it seemed like you started to, excuse me, it seemed like you started to see the floor better in the second half kind of settle in. And, you know, throughout the series, it seemed like, Clint Capella, it's not like he was coming over and, like, setting a hard double team at Julius Randle every time, but he was kind of shadowing Randle, like, behind his primary defender. And it seemed in the second half that Randle kind of was starting to figure out how to exploit that. He found some teammates for open threes. He knocked down a few shots. He defended well. So I think that's, to me, where it starts. If you want to take a game in Atlanta, you need more more from Julius Randle. And I also wonder, you know, the at the five spot, Nerlens Noel is banged up, 
his ankle is not a hundred percent. So if he's not ready to go, then it's Taj Gibson and it's Norvell Pell. And has that work? I mean, Taj Gibson, how much can you lean on him for minutes? So that's, that's also an area that I'm keeping an eye on. But to me, it, excuse me, it starts with the Knicks' best player. It starts with Julius Randle. Ian, can you talk about the importance of Reggie Bullock to this team and his chemistry with Julius Randle? Because they, they, uh, they lose game one, he doesn't make a three, and then he comes out in game two as a rough first half and then explodes in the second half and makes four threes, and then they, they, close, they blow out Atlanta in the second half. Yeah, it's remarkable. It seems like there's like a symbiotic relationship there because Randall, he seems to be able to find Bullock. When like mm-hmm. if he has the ball and he, he's driving to the basket or he's he is attracting an extra defender or just attention from the defense, Bullock seems to, to know where to go to find an opening beyond the arc and Randall finds him. I mean, we've, we've seen it so often this season and – you know, you could you could make the the case that Randall played poorly game one, and that affected Bullock's ability to get into a rhythm to find good shots. He got the good shots in the second half. He knocked them down in game two, and yeah, I, it it seems like there's definitely a correlation there. And for Bullock too, he's so important for the Knicks on defense. And this Atlanta team has um, a lot of strong perimeter shooting, so. You need him sharp on both ends, like even if he's not – well, especially on defense. If he's not going to be able to score the ball, if he's not making shots, you still need him to defend. So I think Reggie Bullock is an important X factor for the Knicks uh, for the rest of this series. You know, and, and something we have seen in the first two games, as expected, Trey Young is yeah, putting up the big numbers, uh, kind of leading the way for the Hawks. Is this one of those things, Ian, where Trey Young is going to get his, right? He, you know, he's – and get it to the foul line, uh, especially in game one, nine times in the fourth quarter. Things completely changed from the first three quarters of that game. But, you know, going home, you pro- he's probably going to get a little bit more calls as well in this. Is this one of those things where defensively the Knicks kind of have to let Trey Young get his but make sure they slow down everybody else around him? Or is there a way that you could possibly slow down Trey Young in, this, in these next couple of games in Atlanta? I do think you probably have to pick one or the other. And it, it seems like the Knicks also have gone back and forth between giving up, being willing to give up the the drive for Trey Young and allowing him to penetrate and create versus um, playing out, extending beyond the three-point line and trying to make it make him uncomfortable with taking those long threes. And so I think those are the choices you have to make. Do you Do you invite him to take that deep three? and play off him a little bit on the perimeter or you try to play up and then, you know, you risk him doing a lot of damage on the, on the drive penetrating. So it's, it just presented a really difficult, difficult uh, decision for Tom Thibodeau and his defense. But I do think that you have to choose. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to like expend all our energy trying to slow Trey down and we'll let other guys get theirs or, We'll let Trey go, but we're going to shut off. We're going to hang out on the three-point line, and we're not going to let Bogdanovich, Gallinari, Herder, uh, Collins, any of those guys beat us from the perimeter. So I think you, you can't do it all. You just can't. Yeah, I thought they did a good job in the second half 
against him in uh, game two, although I, I guess Nate McMillan did them a favor because he sat him for a really long time. Yes, I, I, didn't even, I was surprised yeah, about that. Yeah, I didn't even notice that in-game, and then people were going crazy on Twitter. But that was that was in wild in hindsight. But yeah, Strange, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I did want to ask you about that in the, that they were able to contain him in the second half of the game. Did you notice – anything that they did differently from because the, he just ran wild in game one. And mm-hmm. then in the first half he did, he played well again and it yes. looked like he was about to go off again. Did you notice anything they did differently in the second half? There was a small thing that I saw on several possessions in the second half where they, they pushed the defense, their, their defense out. They extended their defense out beyond the arc. And on a few of those possessions, Trey gave the ball up um, sooner than he had been giving the ball up. And it just seemed to, you know, it didn't obviously stop their offense, but it seemed to throw them a little bit when the Knicks, you know, extended out in the half court defensively. Is that something they go back to? I don't know. Um, I did also notice that it, it seemed to me, I wasn't, I wasn't tracking it at all, but it seemed like they made a concerted effort, more concerted than they did in game one in trying to take away him going right. So they tried to force him go left. It seemed to me more often game two than game one. Maybe that's something you, you continue to see throughout the series. Uh, Ian, one of the things that uh, we were t- talking about in our last podcast is we were kind of opening up uh, this playoff series with the Hawks. Uh, you know, we were going back and thinking about from the beginning of this season, our predictions for this team. And I'm just curious, Ian, where did you have this team at the start of the year, win total-wise? What, what was your number around, if you can remember? Where did you think this team would be at the beginning of the year? Yeah, I guess I thought best case was like high 20s for win total. I thought high 20s and everything would have to go well. And what I didn't take into account was Julius Randle, obviously. And because, you know, they draft Obi Toppin. And I saw that as a, as a sign that they did not have plans for Julius Randle this offseason. And, and, excuse me, this season. And, you know, teams expected Randle to be available via trade going back to last offseason and then going into this season. They fully expected that Randle would be available after the Knicks drafted Obi Toppin. So that's why I thought, like, all right, Obi Toppin's going to get a lot of minutes. Um, I guess they're going to, you know, play – the young guys uh, in that respect and, and everything's going to have to go well for them to, to get to, you know, 28, 29 wins. I didn't see Randall making this leap. No one could have predicted the Rose trade and the impact that he's had, but, you know, credit Tom Thibodeau for <laughs> the idea that this group had won 20 more games this regular season than last year. I know it's not apples to apples because they played a different number of games, but just a remarkable year to year turnaround. You, Ian, you brought up Obi, and for me, I think the most fun part of the playoffs in terms of the players to watch has been Obi Toppin, and it's been just seeing him get any sort of positive play at all has been good. I, I wanted to ask you how surprised you've been by Obi's performance. Very surprised, very surprised. He, if I was guessing coming into the postseason – and you said Tom Thibodeau is going to shorten up his rotation for the playoffs. I would have guessed that Obi Toppin would have been the guy um, to lose minutes. And so just based on everything we saw during the regular season, and he has 
I, it's clear as day that he's gotten so much more comfortable with his role over you know the course of the year the last few months and it's culminating in what he's been able to do in these two games against Atlanta and it's really big for the Knicks because if Julius Randle's not playing well Obi Toppin you you need something from the guy behind Julius Randle and that's Obi Toppin so he gave that to them games one and two and so the non-Randle minutes weren't a mess weren't a wash because Obi Toppin produced so it just you can't you can't really um, say enough about how important that was for the Knicks, particularly in these two games. I don't I think if he, he doesn't do that and he's a, a minus out there, I think the Knicks are staring at an 0-2 deficit in this series. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, and Ian, uh, once again, we wanted to thank you for spending time with us here. We didn't want to keep you too long here because we, we know you're working and you're a very busy man at this time of year. Uh, so we appreciate you taking the time and uh, coming on the Nick State of Mind podcast. It really means a lot to us. And for all the fans out there, if you're not following them already, you need to be following them. It's at Ian Bagley on Twitter. Ian, thank you so much again for coming on and sharing your insights with us. It means a lot. Hey, I appreciate you guys, man. Thank you so much for reading and, and listening over the years and it's great to be able to talk basketball with you guys and, and good luck with the show be happy to jump on uh again down the line whenever you guys need it let's do it again all right we would love that ian thank you so much uh and uh, continue doing what you do you do a great job and we love following you and all the content so we're all big fans and we this was a thrill for us thank you so much Really appreciate you, fellas. Uh, you enjoy the rest of this series, and I'm sure we'll be talking. Thank you, Ian. Thank you, Ian.